Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian, and this is Maggie. And on this very special spooky episode, we are doing the 1932 Mummy. Yes, it is spooky season once again, and so we will be doing two themed episodes. And um, given everything that has gone on in 2020, I could not bring my little heart to watch an actual scary horror movie. This wasn't scary. It had some scary moments. Like half of one. It's not there. There's no psycho killer, high death count. You know what I mean? It's not gory by any means. Uh, Anyway, but our theme this year is going to be the mummy. So we're starting with the 1932 Universal original, really. And then we will be doing the I believe it's the 1999 remake will be our second one. So look out for that episode. Um, So some background on this one. It is a 1932 American pre-code horror film. It was directed by Carl Freund, who actually was the cinematographer on Dracula, which came out the year before, and was also the cinematographer on Fritz Lang's Metropolis. Well, you can see it. That's all I'm going to say. It's such a pretty movie. Yes, we will be talking a lot about cinematography. Um, This basically came out of the fact that the previous year, Universal had had two very successful sort of like lower budget horror movies with Dracula and Frankenstein, which we have previously covered on our podcast. And you should definitely go listen to that episode. Um, Both of those were huge box office successes. So when the studio was trying to think about what to do next, they kind of had the idea of like, well, we should again do some sort of monster, quote unquote, monster movie that is taken from like a novel or a book. And uh, given that Tutankhamun's tomb had only been opened 10 years previously, Mm -hmm. Egyptology was very much in kind of like popular culture at the time. Mm -hmm. So they wanted something that was based around like Egypt or ancient Egypt. Well, there actually wasn't like a full, just like novel to take from. So there definitely were some like shorter pieces and like other works, including a short story by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle called The Ring of Thoth mm-hmm. that were like that lent some inspiration. But a lot of this was very more like a lot it's of original. this was original. Yeah. Got it. That's cool, actually. Yeah. Um, I do think it kind of shows into let's just roll right on into watch notes and I can sprinkle in any other background. Um, I think it shows in some of the story. Oh, my God. It's so (laughs) contrived at times. Like in the very very short film, too. Yeah, that's very true. It's It's a very short. It's 113 minutes. minutes. No, I thought it was like 70 minutes, like an hour and 13. Yep, that's what I meant. Not uh, (laughs) a. Sorry. Sorry, y'all. My laughs are going to be really, really weird. I am recovering from having a gallbladder removed, so I cannot really laugh right now. So my apologies. Just like hear it in my voice and take my really creepy psycho laughs as just in the mood of the season. (laughs) Um, That's why Ian can relate to the main character. He, too, is now missing an organ. I'm glad to be rid of it, though. So anyway. So uh, if I'm not funny this episode, it's on purpose out of concern for my co-host. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Anytime. Uh, But yes, as you were saying, we open with an archaeological dig and we kind of meet two characters that are going to become more of our main players. Mm -hmm. Uh, We meet Sir Joseph and Dr. Muller. Dr. Muller's more of the uh, superstitious of the two. Sir Joseph is like the very, I'm going to be very academic about this. Although I do love his line about, um, you know, to the younger guy who's like Mm -hmm. so excited about the full mummy they found where he's saying, you learn more about like shard from shards of pottery than you do from like the really impressive finds. Well, and the thing with him too, he's in this like suit in the middle of the desert and I'm like, you smug fuck. I can't (laughs) deal with you right now. (laughs) Yeah. Also, their archaeological methods, other than that lovely little speech he gives at the beginning, terrible. Oh, my God. The fact that he's like handling this 3,700 year old scroll with his bare hands, just like opening it out of the box. I died 
died. I straight died. I was like, I can't with you. And it's even, it's the younger guy who does it after Muller's come in and been like, don't open the box. They've talked about how the mummy's very odd and they actually don't think all of the organs were removed and Mm -hmm. how there's indications that he was buried alive. Yeah, like the scrapes on the side, which I will say the way that that part was filmed and revealed was actually really cool because it's a pretty tight scene in this like office where they have the money mummy um, propped up and you get this low so he's shot in the back of in. every shot. Yeah. So he's like much. looking, but you get these close ups in the actual sarcophagus where you see all this stuff like scratched off and it's like, oh, let me just read verbatim this wonderful uh, hieroglyphics, which that was another thing where I was like, no, no, 99% sure that's not how that works. But anyway, I don't know. But yeah, I'm going to I'm going to guess that there's not a ton of historical accuracy in this one. Um, But I love the way everything was lit in there with like Mm. those oil lamps. And it was a lot of like very like stark, bright and dark lightings. A lot of those good shadows we love to see. And haven't seen in a while. Haven't seen it in a while. It was refreshing. Yes. Um, But yeah, when the kid just like goes to open the box and it's got this like thousands of year old scroll in it. And then he just wipes his hands on the front of his shirt and then goes to pick it up barehanded. I'm like, you wiped your hands. You know, that's a bad idea. You know, this thing is delicate. I was having a full conniption fit. It's, it's fine. There were some comments later about how it was a travesty that the Cairo Museum got to keep all of the stuff. And I was like, <laughs> awesome. So we're going to have like an extension of British colonialism and their finding and repurposing of these like national artifacts. Anyway, don't need to get into that discussion. It's definitely of the period, but yeah. still. It, that, well, I, it I'm is like, really? an interesting glimpse of the period because it's set in a very like contemporary setting. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, we were talking about how there was like this huge like popularity of like Egyptology and like studying ancient Egypt and all of these big finds that had been made in like the 20s and into the 30s. So it was very much in popular culture, but it also gives you kind of this look into kind of the sometimes innately imperialistic nature of that field, especially at that time. Oh, yeah. And even even the scenes of them excavating the princess's tomb where it's the two archaeologists watching as who I presume are local Egyptians are actually doing the excavating. It's like, uh, so of the time, so problematic. Yeah, it's, you know, that's not really what this film is about, but it definitely like kind of it makes you think about some of those stuff, some of that stuff a little bit um, for as much as like it is fun and creepy and it has like amazing atmosphere and mood. Mm -hmm. So much of which is determined by Karloff and his superb acting and amazing face. Okay, so we've talked mentioned that that mummy is kind of always in the background of that opening scene, right? Mm hmm. When stupid man starts to read the stupid scroll man, with his I'm bare laugh. hands, Don't do it. <laughs> I'm sorry. When the not at all stupid man, um, whose name is Norton, which is not at all funny. I'm I'm really struggling not to laugh right now, I'm y'all. Sorry, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Just just go. I Keep up. going. Keep going. When Norton, I'm so sorry. Um, that's the name of the the young guy. Uh, is like reading that scroll. I, one, I like that he's not reading it super loud. He's kind of like whispering it to himself, which I think mm-hmm. is a way to get around the fact that they almost certainly didn't know how to correctly pronounce anything. And I bet you anything that like the languages of ancient Egypt, and I'm aware that there were like several and the difference between like a written language and a spoken language can be different. I'm sure there's debate around like pronunciation and stuff. Cause like I studied Latin growing up and I know that there's debate around that and everything. So I'm sure it's something similar. So I kind of like that. I'm sure it was a way for them to get around people being like, that's not authentic though. That Except never really stopped anyone in that time. Later before. On, they do say it aloud. And he's like, Oh, has it been spoken aloud for 3,700 years? And I'm like, come on, dude, how do you know how to say the words then? I know they do, but it's like smaller phrases. 
But I instead of I'm doing like the full eyes. spell, yeah. But instead of doing like the full quote unquote spell from the scroll, I like that he's kind of more just like murmuring it to himself. So it's mm-hmm. like a scholar just trying to do a translation of like an artifact he finds really interesting, and then we get close ups on Karloff, who is in just this amazing, amazing makeup. Apparently really difficult to get into as well, like eight hours or something crazy like that. Yeah. So I read that the time frame was that they began at 11 a.m., finished at 7 p.m., and then he filmed until 2 a.m. Well, at least they gave him nine hours off. I mean, how generous. (laughs) I know, right? Well, that's also the um, only time he is in that full makeup in the entire movie, but it is the most iconic part of the movie because it is amazing amazing work and you just have his eyes slowly opening and then the arms slowly uncrossing and it's so creepy and such a testament to Karloff as an actor because like the physicality of that is just spot on honestly like I feel like to some extent, Doug Jones and the way that he works in the really heavy puppet makeup stuff that he does um, in more modern times is kind of like the what am I trying to say? Like the spiritual progeny of Karloff's acting, because, again, you're trying to act and be emotive through these crazy layers of stuff. So, like, I don't know. It's cool to see the early things of that and then see what's it, it's been able to evolve into. So like I'm thinking specifically the, the fawn in Pan's Labyrinth, if you've ever seen that. Yeah. Film. So yeah, absolutely. Doug Jones, another actor that I think has that ability to really bring that physicality and have it show even through this really heavy makeup. Yeah. It's such a unique skill set. Definitely. Um, and I want to even talk about like the way he carries that physicality later through the movie, but just, you know, to finish up this scene, you have uh, the young guy Norton, of course, very scared. And I love the way he like screams and then devolves into like this manic laughter. Like it's completely just broken him. Okay. That freaked me out more than just him screaming, to be honest. Like I did not expect the maniacal laughter at all. And so having that was, I don't know, it threw me through a loop. So I was actually really happy to see it go that way. Yeah, I liked that choice a lot. And then, of course, you have just kind of this iconic shot of just the like ends of the rags that were presumably wrapped around the mummy's feet, just dragging through the door frame really slowly. Oh, my gosh. It's yeah, it's good. It was a very, very strong start. Completely agree. So I'm we immediately roll forward about 12 years, 11, 12 years to 1932. Mm -hmm. So modern day when the film was made. Um, and, and we're introduced to the the son of the Muller? Sir Joseph. No, it's it's Wimp. I think his last name's Wimple. Oh, Wimple. The I could have sworn he was the son of uh... Frank's the son of Sir Joseph. Got it. Okay. I don't think did they ever say his name? I don't remember his name being said. I just remember Helen and Imhotep, which oh well. <laughs> yeah, Imhotep is the the mummies mummy name like his quote-unquote real name yes exactly so in modern day they have who i i love the dramatic irony in this where we know as soon as emotep walks in using a pseudonym which i can never yeah, he's remember using the name of ardith bay ardith bay he's like oh i found this thing it's over here let me show you this wonderful tomb that you will probably find. I'm just like, okay, what is going on in this dude's head? What is he after? And having seen the Brendan Fraser version, I'm like, oh, he wants his princess back. So I'm loving that there are parallels already that I'm I'm like seeing between the two. Yeah, yeah. Um, which we will for sure talk about more when we like do the episode on that one. Um, so this is actually a bit where I think the plot and the writing does something really cool. And it's like you said, where we well, one visually, we of course immediately know, realize that Ardith Bay is the mummy because when they have this makeup on him, that makes him look very dehydrated, like very old wrinkled and dehydrated. Um, it's not nearly as extreme as like that opening scene. And they do this like very, 
like extreme close up sinister shot where he's lit so that like his eyes are really sunken and his cheekbones are really like his cheeks are really sunken and he looks like old and unhealthy and the way he's moving in that scene too so there's like a stiff there's a stiffness and a fragility to it yep like he has been buried for a thousand years it's 3700 years it's an amazing performance. I don't know why, but the way they said that was weird to me. It was just so needlessly specific. Yeah. They could have just been like 4,000 years. I don't know why they went for or even 3,000. That's said, still a long time. But they specifically said 3,700 years, which was like weird. Multiple for some times, reason. too. Yeah. So it's fine. That's yeah, why I keep but, saying um, it. Yeah, Frank and uh, Frank Wimple and the other guy have been talking about how like they haven't really found much. And then Artith Bay presents them, like you said, with the piece of pottery, which we know he's the mummy, but we don't know what exactly what he wants. Like he right. he indicates that it's like probably from the tomb of this princess. And if they were to dig there, they would find the tomb. But we're kind of sitting there like. But why does he want them to find her? Like, you're not like you said, you're not 100 percent sure unless you're like inferring from a remake that you saw. Like, you're just like, I know something weird and sinister is going on, but I don't know exactly what. But I want to find out. Yeah. So they excavate the tomb. It's sealed, untouched. It's pretty much where we leave them and we get introduced to Helen, who we will come to find out is the like reincarnated, uh, reincarnated version of Anxunamun. Um, the princess. Which, apologies on my pronunciation there. Um, they say it a couple different ways in the movie, I think. I don't think they say it consistently. Anyway, the princess who uh, the mummy Imhotep is in love with and wants to be reunited with. One, her dress. I think my note is literally, who is this woman in this fantastic dress? Mostly because I was like, who the hell is this new character? Why are we getting introduced to her now? But also because it was a fantastic dress. It really was. She's at like this party in Cairo and she's kind of looking out over the city and she's lamenting like it's not the quote unquote real Egypt, which is a little iffy. Yeah, I don't know. She's I mean, I it, I think it goes kind of with that period of like highly romanticizing ancient Egypt at the time. You know, yeah. not to mention the fact that like ancient Egypt is a huge time period that is broken up into, you know, you're breaking it up into like old kingdom and new kingdom and like a ton of different dynasties. Like it's not a uniform one thing like anything in history, but there is right. like kind of a simplistic romantization of it that she's very clearly like that is what her character thinks and um we find out that she's half Egyptian and they kind of make a reference to her family they're like a very old was previously influential family oh i totally missed that but it's like one passing cool. line which in my brain went okay she's definitely related to the princess yeah i got that very soon because as like interspersed with that party scene, we also get that the mummy is at the Cairo Museum. And I is love going the way this was lit. Me oh. too. So he's like looking at the tomb of Anxunamun, and the doctor comes in, right? Dr. Muller, or is I'm confusing these characters so badly. It's Muller or Sir Joseph. At this point in the film, they're like more interchangeable than not, really. Yeah. Sorry, y'all. Um, Anyway, comes in and is like, oh, my God, thank you so much for getting us this stuff. They have like a little conversation in the office and everybody leaves but Emotep. And he is kneeling by the coffin by his beloved with the scroll by lamplight. Beautiful upward lining. had been stolen by the mummy in that first yep. scene. So now we have confirmation. Like, I was pretty sure, but now it's like, okay, definitely the mummy. Yeah. But the way that they cut around him in this room with some close-ups with him lit from below from the lamp, like, ah, it was just so beautiful to see. And so, so, like, it created this such stark contrast that I think heightened the whole, like, this is sinister, this is bad, we need to be afraid of this person. So, again, super effective there. 
Yeah, but he's like calling out to um, Anksuna Moon, aka Helen, and she kind of goes into this trance-like state. And I will say, so I, Zita Johan, who plays uh, Helen, I was not always sold on her performance. I, I had issues with a lot of her line delivery, but I did like her reactions. She has very big eyes, like very big expressive eyes that she uses very effectively. Definitely. And she plays well off of Karloff in the scenes that they're together in. I think it's some of the like by herself with. I mean, her dialogue's yeah. also not great. Yeah, so, that's true. But the writing was not I, a shining star in this. No. No, but I loved her physicality of being in the kind of trance-like state. I thought she handled that really well. Um, but she basically gets to the museum and she's banging on the door trying to get in. Meanwhile, we also realize, interspersed with this, that there's a watchman of the museum who has realized that like someone's in there. And I love the shot where he goes into the room and you can see the light. Like, like. Emotep is hidden, but we can see the light from the lamp kind of around the sarcophagus. Yeah. And then the guard basically is like, who's there? And the light immediately goes out and it's just darkness. And then he switches on like a flashlight. And I just loved the way they like did that. And then oh, we and searching he, to his face. So you just get his face in this, this spotlight of the flashlight. Sorry. That was then, a really, really complicated way to say that. <laughs> yeah. But and then you get like this basically the sounds of scuffle off screen. So we don't actually see what happens to the guard. We just hear like a scream and we just know it's bad. And I love that they didn't show us because presumably he's died or something has, you know, something really bad has happened to him. Yeah. But it gives us even more of this like mystery and mystique around Imhotep slash the mummy slash art of Bay, because we know he's powerful. We know he can hurt people, but we don't know how right. or what he does. Well, and the unknown and, or, and we still don't fully understand what he wants. Like we know he wants Anksuna moon, but we don't know why. And won't know for a while. So it's like, I don't know it. That is one thing that the way that they structured this and withheld information did keep me watching in a way that yeah. some modern movies don't always do. So yes, agreed. Yeah. I, I thought when they decided what information they decided to give us when was very well planned out, even if the dialogue around giving us the information wasn't always the best. It was just very tell it like it is. And again, show me, don't tell me. Or just like I've finessed it a little. It's hard to it's hard to explain, but a lot of the dialogue was kind of stiff. It was. Now, in all fairness, this was still a little bit like this was relatively early in talkies still. So I'll talk about this later on, but I did True. get some silent like throwbacks in places. Oh, yes. There's specifically one sequence that was very much silent movie throwback. Oh, yeah. And I really, really liked it that way. Was it the backstory? Because that yes, I loved. It was the backstory. Oh, it was so good. Anyway, to get into a scene that I liked much less where they were in like the house of the doctor and. Yeah, because Frank has like found Helen banging on the door of the museum and then she collapses and they've taken her to like their house instead of a hospital, (laughs) which they eventually say why. And I think it's because they were like, it was obvious to us that she was under the influence of the curse. There's just so much assuming of things here that I just was, I couldn't with some of these like Egyptologists, like it was too much. Yeah, Like Um, that's a leap. Like the dialogue here and kind of the, the way that Frank and Helen played off one another, not super great though. She did have one fantastic line that was, do you have to open graves to find girls to fall in love with? I love that. Oh, he so does sassy. not respond to that line at all, though. Instead, he's just like, I feel like I know you. I love you. And I was sitting there being like, you just found this strange woman who collapsed in front of the museum who Calm couldn't down. tell you how she got there or why she was there. I feel like maybe you should ask a few more questions yes. <laughs> before you propose. But like that sass in that line, I wanted more of it throughout the film. Yes. But unfortunately, like she was kind of just a wilting lily the rest of the film in my mind. Like she was so passive. 
there is, I think at the very end, we get to see a little bit more of that spirit from her because there is a moment where she kind of sort of saves herself. That is true. At the end. I, I will um, give her so that. So there was, I agree that there were very promising things about her character, but it just was never fully realized. And I think that's just to do with the fact that it is like an extremely fast paced film and it's not very long. Very so I know true. we've ta- asked for a lot of the films we've been doing recently to be trimmed. I think this one could have been longer. A little bit more. Like it, it's more of a, I, I'm engaged because the, what does the mummy want is keeping me going. But all of the characters around him are pretty one dimensional. Right. Um, but if you had more time, I think you could have done a little bit more with it. Totally agree. So anyway, we have that scene. We we pretty much establish that she is related to Anxunamun, like for sure. Some comments about how she looks like the mummy, which not very romantic, but that's fine, Frank. You you do you, I know. Frank. Although the art like the art department when they did the sarcophagus for the princess and they paint it it does kind of look like that actress like oh, yeah, they, they actually did, a good job. did like try to make it look like that actress in that style and i think they did a good job with it agreed so immediately cut again fast pace to the discovery of the dead guard how they decided to go check on him don't really know anyway they have the scroll they've taken it back from the mummy they know something's afoot but before they get back the mummy has made it to the doctor's house. And this scene, I loved. The score was amazing and suspenseful. And you notice it because of the way that the score kind of drops out in most of this film. Yeah, and they it's, use it very it's, sparingly. I think it's something that we've commented on with other films from that time frame, like kind of the early best pictures we did, as well as when we did the 1931 Frankenstein, is that they don't, all, they don't, necessarily feel the feel the need to fill the silence I which i think it. sometimes works extremely well sometimes i think it you kind of want some score or something there but I, I do think it was a tendency of that time period that you only brought in the score for like very specific things and one of them is like horror moments yeah so like when the mummy well one he meets the servant at the door who apparently because of the servant's heritage, is uh, under the mummy's command now. So that was interesting. But when yeah, he- he's, I think the servant, I think it's the character is just in the credits as like the Nubian, which from the very, very, very little I remember about like ancient Egyptian history, I think Nubia was a region that was conquered by like Egypt at one point, like during one of the dynasties when they were like expanding or something. So I think, I think it's a reference to that. That would make sense. I will say again, it's the thirties. So of its time, but more blackface there. I was like, okay, come on now. But I will leave that as it is calling out as problematic and go from there. Yeah. Um, I mean, the fact that you have white people playing all of these Egyptian people is just like, great. Still happens today. Anyway, I'm not going to get on that tangent right now. Um, <laughs> I was going to so, say, we've been on that tangent before yeah, many a time. Is Yeah. Um, so anyway, next scene, when the mummy actually sees Helen for the first time, this is where the score really came in well. The way it was lit, especially the way they lit Karloff, I thought was amazing. And again, the way that they played off of one another in this scene, um, so both Karloff and Zita Johan, it just felt like there was some sort of like energy between them, kind of in a way that I hadn't seen yeah. from Zita earlier in the film. Yeah, no, I the stuff with them together, I liked quite a lot. And I don't know if it's just because Karloff is so good that it's like, how can you possibly be bad when I you're playing against think that's that? It. He's like pulling it out of her. And like, I, I feel like you can kind of see that. But because of the way the mummy is supposed to be kind of having this like pull over her, it works mm-hmm. so well. Yeah, no, it's I love that scene with them where he it's basically him sort of trying to like you can tell it's him trying to figure out if she really is like the reincarnation, whereas she's like trying to understand why she feels this familiarity. 
And it's very much just like two people sort of like testing each other in different ways. It was a very nice yeah. scene. And then it's ruined by the three. Well, the, our three semi bumbling idiots. It's they're they're pretty bumbling. Like, don't 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 give them too much credit here. Frank, who um, got real possessive real fast, is ugh. like, who is in there with Helen? And then like bursts in. But we get the beautiful, beautiful shot of Karloff straight on just his face with his forehead, like his forehead just a little bit forward. And they do that thing where they light just his they eyes. Use, yeah, it's the same shot and they use it like four or five times in the movie, but yeah. they always use it in the really good place. And right here was perfect because it was like, here's my mummy power. Leave, leave. You are under my control sort of thing. I just, uh, so good and so creepy. Yeah. Very creepy. So that scene ends. Karloff, uh, well, or Emotep, I should say, doesn't really get anything out of this that he wants. But he goes back to wherever his hidey hole is. And we get the first glimpse of his like telekinetic, telepathic sort of powers over people. Yeah. Which I loved so much. So this is where Sir Joseph Wemple is trying to burn the scroll. But we get... They've told him that basically they have the scroll, but it's in a safe place. And he's sort of like, it's basically like he's scrying on them in this pool of water. And he sees Sir omniscient because of that. Yes. He, he sees Sir Joseph like bring the scroll out of hiding and go to start to burn it, which I was like, don't you burn that artifact, Sir Joseph. First, horrible archaeological work. Burn in some scrolls. I don't care if it brings back the dead, Sir Joseph. That is an archaeological find. It needs to be preserved correctly. Hashtag science. Hashtag science, sir. They pretty much said that the entire time. It was like, for the hashtag science of it. I know, but it was I like, would be but laughing, but I really the... can't. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. I really want to okay. laugh. It's okay. okay. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. <laughs> Serious things, Ian. Okay, we're, we, we're past. I'm good now. Serious. Serious. We do a serious podcast. It's a very serious podcast. Okay, anyway, we got (laughs) to move on. You just made yourself almost laugh again. I did, I did, I did. Okay, we're good, we're good, we're good. Anyway, burning the artifact, bad. But Boris Karloff, this performance with the way he's like grasping toward the camera and like wringing Sir Joseph Wemple's heart with his hand, but he doesn't actually have his heart in his hand. uh, He does this a couple times and it doesn't get old. No, because Karloff is so good at it and he's making every movement so interesting and just he is he is just an absolute treasure to watch in anything. Yeah. And like the things that I've seen him in, I think he's the reason that I really like him is he takes the more exaggerated, dramatic aspects of silent film that I've seen, but repurposes them in a way that is totally applicable to the films that he's in, even though they are talkies. He chooses, he chooses his moments for exaggeration because so much of the time he is very subtle. He also just kind of has like this innate, like he's a very tall person. Mm -hmm. So he has this very kind of innate just presence anyway, but I just, the way he can like take command of a scene and then he can like, I could just watch Karloff be like still and deliver lines. And it's just as interesting as when he's doing these like big dramatic movements to like mime forcing this guy to have a heart attack. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's just as interesting and great to watch. Uh, anyway, Sir Wemple is dead. He did not burn the scroll as we find out. no. Because the servant has captured it, well, taken it, and has taken it back to Emotep. Or we're assuming mm-hmm. he's taken it back to Emotep. Yeah. Yes. There is like a really quick scene where we get Frank Wemple like not being emotional enough about his dad dying. But that's fine. They they basically he's stoic Ian. It's fine. And as we've it's fine. as we've discussed, stoic characters that fall are the in love most interesting to watch. Are the most interesting to watch. And just most realistic. Yep. Anyway. You say, Stop trying to make yourself laugh. I'm, but I'm having a good time. I want to laugh. I know. Anyway. I know. Okay. We get the scene where uh, Helen goes to visit Emotep at Emotep's pad, as I like to put it. It's his bachelor pad. It's quite <laughs> swanky. He has a scrivening pool. It is so pool swanky. And some it's great. statues. 
and a servant. So like, what more do you want? Anyway, relationship goals. This is where not okay. relationship yeah, goals. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> I do not want to be in a relationship with a thirty-seven hundred-year-old mummy who just wants to kill me to resurrect me. Like, I don't need that in my life. That's too much drama. Um. Anyway, <laughs> we get his backstory. Find you a man who can do both. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Love me while I'm alive, not while I'm dead. Thank you very much. <laughs> or how about both? Yes, who can do both? You're right. Okay. <laughs> noted. Noted. Anyway. The scrivening scene, like, or the the like flashback, the way they lead into this one, the camera movement. Okay, first off, so I want to cool. talk about her taking the dog with her. Yes, start there because this becomes important. So she has like a German Shepherd, which I was like, why do you have a German Shepherd in the middle of a desert? That dog is not going to be having a fun time. Very hot. But she takes the dog with her to like go see Imhotep, or who thinks she knows as Ardith Bay. And it's very much like a, she's kind of been drawn there, but it's a little bit more of like her own volition. Like she's not like hypnotized going. And um, she enters and the dog is handed off to the servant. And there's like a white cat that you see the cat and the dog have like this kind of intense stare down. Don't yep. seem to be cool with each other. Um, and then he takes her into the scene with like the scrying pool, which God, the way this was shot. I love how they have the smoke coming well, out of the pool. And even before that, you you get the camera behind them, but it pulls back and then it's on a boom. So it comes up over their heads and you zoom in on just the pool as if it were a movie screen. And that's when the ste- the smoke kind of like, because you start to see the smoke rise as we're looking at them. Yep. Like behind them. And then the smoke kind of clears onto, like you said, basically like a movie screen where we get Imhotep and an Anxana Moon's backstory as a silent film with a little bit of commentary from Imhotep like over top of it. But it's I loved that they did it as the silent film because it gives it this sense of time. That like you are looking at something that happened a long time ago. And then you also get to see Karloff being like a great silent film actor. Um, and we get the idea that like she, I can't remember exactly why she, I think she, did she just die of natural causes? I think she was sick or something yeah, like she that. She was sick. She was a priestess of ISIS, um, dies of natural causes. And he uses the like, quote unquote, forbidden magic through the skull of thought, scroll of Thoth to bring her back. Mm-hmm. And then he is punished for it by being buried alive. But and frankly, the creepiest part. Mummified. Oh my God. The scene. Uh, the scene where they're wrapping him in like the mummy dressings when Karloff's expression, which is at the end of it, we can only see his eyes is so good. And to me, that was the most terrifying part of the film was the concept of seeing this person get mummified, knowing that they're going to be buried alive. And the like writhing that he did in the wrapping, like it just, I think my notes are the face and the writhing and the sets like that, the sets too. That that's the other thing where they, They're great. They feel grand, even if they may not be. Like, I know that they're relatively small in different places. Yeah. But, like, they are so expansive. We don't really, because, yeah, if you're looking at the sets, like, you know, kind of looking at them that they aren't, they're probably not that big. But because of the way that they've been set dressed, they're given a depth that is, like, really like cool and really helps with like the visuals. I just, I really have a love for the way these like old school universal horror films were shot. Like I just, when the lighting is always amazing. Exactly. And anyone who has listened to this podcast knows we are suckers for good lighting. We are suckers for good black and white lighting. And oh my I gosh. Just, yes. Like the tone and the mood is always impeccable and like the art direction and set design is just, it's insane and I love it. And there's like a a stagey quality to it that I really like. Like I, like I know that we're not in Cairo or like to throw back to Frankenstein. I know we're not like on a mountain or a cliff in the middle of the moors, but it feels like we are. Because of the way that the set is put together and the way they use like smoke and fog and like mood and lighting. Yep. Yep. So, ah, uh, flashback sequence, superb. 
I mean, also, I forgot to call this out earlier, but also Helen's like jacket with the little buckly things. Oh my God. Like her so outfits cute. are always really good. They're great. Costume design Even as on point. Onksuna Moon. Like, yeah. I mean, it was a little, it was a little Princess Leia. The wig is very much a wig. <laughs> I mean, I, I was going to say those curls are something to behold on her forehead. They're, um, so the thing with those curls, they're actually, they're very Romanesque. That's I like a particular, like, those like curl, that. the weight, the specific curl of the bang where it's like a flat sideways curl is something you will see in a lot of like Roman statues. Like it's a very Romanesque hairdo, which isn't necessarily wrong for something set in ancient Egypt because ancient Egypt was at one time basically a Roman colony or they had like very tight relationships like trade yeah. relationships and political relationships but I don't think it's necessarily the era that this is supposed to be set in but, but Mackie, I'm not Egypt an authority. Is just one monolithic history right I it's all the same it's not but I also don't know enough about it to be able to properly correct no, no. I'm being sarcastic normally I would laugh at the end of that to indicate my sarcasm mm-hmm. but I'm being super sarcastic but I'm just you saying. can't because you exactly. have fewer organs than Imhotep right now. I I do. That's very sad. Because they technically didn't take his organs. But I mean, did he lose a finger? Maybe. Did we he? don't know. Wait. I mean, he's, he's disintegrating. That? I'm just speculating right now. Oh, I, I'm I pulling like, an Egyptologist and thinking that the mummy would have lost a finger. I'm assuming. I thought you were making <laughs> like a statement about something that happened in the film. And I was like. I don't remember oh, that. No, no, like, no. I'm, I'm, that. I'm just shooting the shit again. So uh, we can move God, on. I thought, um, <laughs> I thought I had spaced out in the middle of the movie and I was going to be really upset with myself because it's not that long of a movie. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Anyway. And it's a lot more thrilling scene, than like the last movie we did. Yeah, it was very, it was engaging. Anyway. It was engaging. She comes back from her excursion to Imhotep's pad, is sick, doesn't remember, no dog. And they point out that she said they are like being mad at her about like, why did you go? It wasn't safe. And she's like, well, I took the dog with me. And they're like, well, where's the dog? And there's just a face on her where she's like, a look, there's just a look on her face. And then finally she just goes, I don't remember. And then she kind of remembers that it died and it basically was attacked by a cat and the cat killed it. Yeah. Zeta Johan's performance in that scene, top notch. I loved the way she did that. She really does. And it's when there's heavy reacting going on that I think she really, really shines. But that to me was so incredibly creepy. Anyway, she is now on bed rest. She's sick, but she is devising a plot to escape. There was, it was like this wonderful, like, Give and take where they're like, she's wasting away because she's fighting his influence, but we can see that she's like barely fighting it at this point. And so she's sort of like that scene where she's like manipulating everyone to get uh, like her nurse to basically help her get dressed so she can leave by being like, I just want to look really nice for Frank and like, you know, give me my vanity. Uh, so that she, she can dra- get dressed so that she can then later escape and like go to Emotep. Like, exactly. I, it's good. I loved the way that that was written. I, th- I thought Zeta Johan did a really nice job in that scene. I'd wanted more from our male actors in that scene. Just ev- anywhere. I mean, I David except Manners. Except for Boris Karloff. Yeah. Except for oh, Boris Karloff is a league of his own. Boris Karloff is the standout of this movie. He's uh, the flawless performance, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, David Manners, who played Frank, I I liked his vibe in general. I don't think he was written with enough depth. Yes. He was too much of like, oh, you're a happy puppy. That's kind of yeah. what I got out of him. And a lot of the times his performance felt like as natural as it could get under those circumstances. But I did want to see more depth from the character. And I think that actor could have handled it. I would like to think so. I just don't think he had a ton to work with because there, there were spots that I really liked him, but I just, especially I thought he had more, more stuff early on that he could like work with. And then in the latter half of the film, it was a lot of him being like weirdly possessive of Helen and like, just being like, we have to stop this. So 
Yeah. It's weirdly enough. I wanted, I needed more development. I mean, I would also have liked more development for Helen's character, but weirdly enough, this time our female protagonist was our most developed protagonist. I mean, there's something to that at least. That's usually not the case. Usually the female protagonist is more, is like more underdeveloped compared to the male protagonist, but I think it was the other way around this time. Yeah. I'm here for it. Gotta love pre-code. But anyway, uh, one line here that kind of touches it all off that I loved is the nurse says that she is given some, I think it was bromide, so basically a sleep aid to, or an an anesthesia, I don't know. Anyway, it was the 30s. I don't know what sleeping pills they had then. probably just like straight up heroin. (laughs) crazy barbiturates. I don't know. Um, And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so is the bromide going to be stronger than the sexy mummy calls? And I don't know. Who knows, I mean, Maggie? I feel like the bromide would weaken you to the sexy mummy calls, right? Like if you're trying to fight the sexy mummy calls, I feel like being tired isn't going to help you. Probably not. Anyway, that you're was, the one who introduced the phrase sexy mind. mummy calls. You can't give me the look like you're mad at me for making you almost I'm not laugh. mad at you. I'm just trying to okay. not laugh again. Sexy Don't mummy laugh. calls. Anyway, his sexy <laughs> mummy calls overcome the sleep aid because she leaves because she's and, tired and can't fight back. Exactly. I stand but by Karloff my reasoning. Does his other thing to Frank again and like squeezes the life out of him. Amazing. But Frank gets to the uh I what charm was it that was for protection? It's a protection. It's a charm. pendant of Isis. Yes. So that Muller had been trying to get him to wear, and Frank was like, I'm not gonna wear that. I'm too tough. But he goes for it in the end, which is good. Yeah. Because he's not dead. Um but we're rapidly coming to this last scene at the museum where it has come to light the mummy's plan for everything. And so his servant is there stirring a pot of something. She is there as Anxunamun, like fully in, in the most sequiny costume I've ever seen. It's fabulous. Yes. Quite skimpy Not too. Not at Pre-code. all historically accurate. No. But fabulous. <laughs> Um, and so that talking through the plan, it's very clear she's not on board with being killed because she likes no, her current yeah. life. She's like, I'm really enjoying living right now. Let's, but it's, she's, it's like her speaking as Anxana Moon, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of really nice. And I do like that there is a bit of a distinction, I think, in Zita Johan's performance between when she is Helen and when she is Anxana Moon. I do think yeah. she does a little bit of a distinction. Not much, but there is one there. But yeah, I like that she's like, mm, no, see... I kind of like living. So why don't we just let me live? Well, and it was like, it's not just me in here anymore. So it, yeah. it's also that kind of like compassion for life, which is that part of the film's understanding of the order of Isis or the God of Isis? Well, okay. So I think that line might be a relic because there actually is more to the flashback scene in the poll that was cut from the film that actually shows not just her as Anxana Moon, but all of Anxana Moon's past lives with the implication that there have been more. And that's why there's actually a credit for somebody as um, the Saxon warrior who's never actually shown, but that credit is still in the film is because it was a longer flashback sequence showing that she had had like, it wasn't just this reincarnation, but that she had had multiple lives. And so I feel like that line might be a relic from that while it still reads as it's like not only her anymore it's like her and helen yeah i feel like it's more powerful and i kind of wish they had kept more of that flashback there and kind of explored like this movie's take on reincarnation a little bit more because i think it's more even more powerful if it's like it's not just oxenamoon it's not just oxenamoon and helen it's like thousands of years of like identities and people and lives that are at stake. That's cool. That would have been a really cool way to go with that. Yeah. It makes me sad because I'm like, they had the running time to do it. Well, but apparently they cut the longer flashback due to runtime constraints. So maybe they didn't (laughs) at the time. (laughs) Um. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I just, the last movie we did is I spent more than three hours watching The Godfather Oh my God, I'm not sure I can listen to this because I'm going to laugh. Okay. 
Yep. And this I was concerned about runtime. I'm sorry. I'm completely. sorry. I just teared up when I laughed. Okay, I'm done. Okay. This is this is serious anyway, shit. In the final I'm trying not to laugh so badly. Um okay, in the final scene, they burn Anxuna Moon's corpse. Like, okay, again, the way they stage this and film this kind of in the, the museum. And really to specify, great. that is like the mummy Anxuna Moon's corpse. They didn't burn Helen. Correct, correct. Helen is not burned. I guess um, she's just Anxuna Moon. She's not Anxuna Moon's corpse yet. Uh, she will be soon. But anyway, like he exerts his mummy powers on her. We get the the frame of him with the lit eyes again. And all of a sudden she is laying back on the, the sacrificial table with this like crazy looking knife. It looks like the ready. worst knife in the world to be stabbed with. Yeah. Like not a it's quick and painless It's more like a stab. steak. Yeah. It's more just like a, a stone steak. Like it's, it's weirdly kind of round. It doesn't look like it has, it's like looked very dull edged. Like. Yeah. Not great. But just in the nick of time. I are, mean, getting stabbed by any knife, not great, but especially that one. Yeah. That one would hurt a lot. But fortunately, just in the nick of time, we have our not our fully bumbling idiots stumble into the room and are like, no, stop. Which kind of, I guess, breaks his concentration on whatever spell he has her under because then she starts to fight back more. Yeah. And that's when she starts praying. There's like a statue of Isis that Mm -hmm. she starts like praying to as a priestess of Isis being like, save me, protect me. And I actually really liked the like way they had the statue's arm like move with, I think it's holding an onk. I believe so. But it was the second time we saw that because we also saw that happen in the flashback when Emotep stole the the scroll. That particular statue also kind of had this movement to it that was like, oh, you have displeased me. But now on the back end, you have the movement saying like, I'm going to save you. And you get this yeah. like 1930 special effects of Boris Karloff wasting away. And ultimately, Which I loved and I thought oh, was I so too. good. It's like the multiple exposure technique yes, that they've been using with Ugh. like the different stages of the makeup. God, yep. I love practical. I love practical effects so much. They just they tend to age better in my mind. Like we were talking about that in Jurassic Park. Oh yeah, yeah. I um, brief aside that will probably get cut. I for my relaxing weekend did a face mask and watched Jurassic Park. And I was thinking about how well that CGI holds up because they, it's not just straight CGI. They use a mixture of CGI and animatronics, especially when you're like close up with something, it's almost always animatronics. And then if it's farther away and more of like full body and movement, that's when they use the CGI. And then they plant the CGI in realistic physical environments with the actors so that the actors have like fit something physical to work around. And I just think it ages so much better when you use that mixture and when you're like using it in real environments. Totally agree. I will be curious to see how I think back on CGI in another 10 years, but at least from CGI from the Jurassic park era, there's already some current CGI that I don't like that i yeah, already true. think like i think it's like from like two years ago that i'm already like that already didn't age well yeah anyway we digress so they've saved on well onks and moon has saved herself thank fucking god i like she saves um, herself yeah and the movie ends it's it's a universal horror flick they just end it's a very abrupt end i actually rewound at one point i was like wait what no you didn't miss <laughs> anything like, that no, was it the just end. straight we get the lovely him decaying and then just credits. Um, yep. I'm assuming Helen and Frank live happily ever after. I mean, or not. She saved herself. She doesn't need Frank. Um, True. She never needed Frank. <laughs> no. Who are we kidding? He was helpful once. <laughs> so anyway, that's the mummy. I really enjoyed it. And seeing, I did too. Like, especially the 1999 quote unquote remake I, that's that's a really heavy-handed word to use because I know the storylines are very dissimilar, but they borrow so much from this. They do. They actually borrow a lot. And this this movie, like many of those Universal monster movies, did like spawn a lot of like quote unquote sequels and remakes. Although, unlike like Frankenstein and Dracula, and like I think the Wolfman, which comes later, there weren't any official sequels to this movie. It was more of like 
a reimagining that happened. So in 1940, there was the mummy's hand, which was kind of like a reimagining of the general concept of there is a mummy that due to some magic comes alive. And then there were sequels to that 1940s movie in like 42 with the mummy's tomb and 44 with the mummy's ghost and also the mummy's curse, which was in 44 as well. And then you had in 1955 Abbott and Costello meet the mummy. Um, I have to see that. There's so many Abbott and Costello meet a lot of those classic monsters and they're all amazing. Um, And then of course in like the late fifties and stuff, you start getting um, like, or like, I think it's, is it the 50? Yeah. Late fifties into sixties when you had the hammer horror films that actually did a lot of like grittier, more gory remakes of those, you know, thirties and forties universal films. Uh They also had like mummy stuff, but a lot of theirs were based on the like 1940s mummy reimaginings. So then when you get to 1999, I I think that is probably the like subsequent mummy film that borrows the most. Granted, I have not seen the 2017 one, but to but like I it sounds have like, heard very bad things about the 2017 one. So I do not plan on watching I do the not 2017 plan to see one. It. But the 1999 one to me seems like the one that kind of went back to this original, like and borrowed the most because um I know Ian has not watched the 1999 Mummy six times since quarantine started the way I've I have. I've maybe watched it twice in the last six years. So, yeah. I've watched it a lot. It is one of my absolute favorite movies. Um, but I I actually don't think I had seen the 32 original before. And so there was a lot of stuff that I was like, oh my God, they, like, they straight lifted that. And there was even a couple of lines that I was like, they almost completely just lifted that line. Nice. And so I, while it is, you know, we'll talk about it more in the next episode. While it is definitely a very different tone and there are definitely some big changes. I do like that. They like have these homages to this 32 original because the 32 original, like it's, it's fun. It's a solid little film. Yeah. As a film, I do. I do want to like go back and reiterate. It's basically, totally misrepresenting Egypt, totally misrepresenting Egyptian culture and reducing it to like this trope. So like, I don't want to say that it doesn't have like cultural problems. Again, it was made in 1932. So I, I, if it didn't, I would be shocked. Exactly. Like, I don't think we can expect it to have a modern perspective on that stuff. Well, and I also, you know, this movie, I don't think is trying to do anything specifically or particularly academic, about Agreed. the way it's presenting anything like it it really is like a more I I think it was lower budget. I don't want to call it like a B movie cuz Universal I mean, actually relied quite a lot on these monster movies a at that time. $200,000 budget. So in 1932 yeah, that's some cash. But but like there there this is a very specific genre film that is trying to do very specific things and it's cashing in on like a cultural phenomenon like a Western cultural phenomenon at the time. Yeah. Which was flawed at the time. So, Oh yeah, absolutely. It's a representation um, of that. But I did, I did find it fun and it's such a good October film. It's such a good little Halloween film. It is. It's, it's a little snack. So it, again, it's only like an hour and 15 minutes, 14 minutes, something like that. So honestly, yeah. I'm thinking that I may go through and watch all the mummies just cause I want to see them and they're all short fun. little snacks. Do it. I actually want to go back and do like all of the universal monster movies. I think that would be fun if we like slowly worked our way through them with our themes. Although I really do. I've been trying to think ahead for next year and I, we have to do arsenic and old lace at some point, which has a Karloff reference, like a heavy Karloff reference. Oh, Cary Grant. And it's directed by Frank Capra on. Yeah. It's Cary Grant being a comedic genius. It's really Sold. funny, though, so we couldn't do it this year because Ian can't laugh. Well, next year I will be able to laugh again because not only will it not be 2020, but I will <laughs> have fully recovered from having my gallbladder removed. Yeah, so maybe maybe we can get best of both worlds next year. We can have a movie that you can laugh at and then we'll pick a scary counterpart so I can be scared. I love it. 
which I don't want to do, but apparently people really enjoyed it. <laughs> apparently for, everybody else it's like really vitamins. enjoyed it. It's for your own <sighs> good. I is it. And the good of our listeners. Yeah. You're yeah, being that's selfless. <laughs> In fact, it's a martyrdom. <laughs> I'm doing my best not to laugh. Anyway, I have to cut that that line of uh, thought off right there. Yep. But yeah, loved it. Highly recommend it. Again, short film. So um, yeah, absolutely. I would, I'd highly recommend this. Um, if it's not in your usual Halloween rotation and even better time to put it there. Um, and I, for people who wanted like a family Halloween movie, that's maybe a little spooky, but like mostly good and like, and a little campy, maybe like this is a, this is a good one. Totally agree. Like the mummy, the, the more modern Brendan Fraser remake is kind of, of scary to young me. I would say I would um, say that one's still very family friendly, but this one's like extra family friendly. I yeah. think. Like I don't know. As like a, eight I grew year up old, in a weird household, though. We've discussed the weird oh no, ages the, that I was allowed to see freaked movies. Me out as an eight year old, or however old I was I when love I saw that movie. it. The first time. I don't remember how old I was when I saw it, though. I, mm, I think I was like early teen. I think I was like 12 or 13 when I saw the mummy for the first time. So had I seen it then I would have been fine, but yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. So as Maggie said, we are doing that 1999, the mummy with Brendan Fraser in it. Um, and Rachel super looking Weiss forward to it. Um, so in the meantime, definitely look us up on social media. We are at best pictures pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, if you have something more long form, would like to talk more about kind of the like, birthplace of the mummy trope would love to hear more about it um you can email us if you have like other films that you'd like to see us do as special episodes like let us know about those we're always looking for good ideas for special episodes um and then also between when this one goes out and the next episode goes out uh be sure to check out our other spooky season episodes we did uh the original frankenstein and young frankenstein and then we did um Halloween, the original Halloween and the original Psycho. So all of those I think are fun episodes. So check them out. Yes. So thank you for listening. And again, join us uh, in a couple weeks for the 1999 mummy. Thanks for listening.